Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by his spirit, will use his word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemerknoxville.org. We also want to give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemerknoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much, and here is this week's sermon. Well, if you have a Bible and you would like to follow along with me, you can do so by turning to Jonah chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. Uh, You'll be able to find it on page 775 in your pew Bible. It's also provided for you there in your bulletin. I do want to welcome you to Redeemer this morning. It's great to have you with us. My name is Sean Slade. I'm the pastor here. And we're so glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different things that you could be doing this morning. For instance, uh, you could be celebrating the fact that uh, January is over. I mean, January has been terrible. It's been the worst. I usually think February is the worst month of the year, and that's why it's the shortest. But January, there was no sun. It was cold. It was bad. Anyway, it's over. Thank you. And then uh, if you're not doing that, you could be over at the Food City Arena for the Lady Vols, getting ready to beat down the Mizzou Tigers. Or you could be sitting at home in front of your computer trying to beat Tetris like a 13-year-old. But you're not doing any of those things. Uh, You're here this morning, and I really do want to thank you for coming. And uh, the reality is, uh, is that there really is nothing better that you could do with your time uh, than worship Jesus and consider his claims upon your life and think about the kindness and the beauty of his salvation. So I do want to thank you for joining us. Welcome to Redeemer. What is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer is a church. And what that means is that we're a community of people who are trying to learn how to love God and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And fundamentally, what we believe is that Jesus is God, he's the Messiah, and he's entered into the world to die for our sins and to reveal the love of the Father. And so every week as his people, we gather together in his name to worship him so that we might learn to rest in the love that God has for us in Christ. And as we rest in his love for us, we then become a people who delight to gather together in community. And we love to go to Vols games and Lady Vols games. We love to kite surf and eat king cake and all that sort of stuff. But what we really love to do is we love to gather together and read the Bible and pray together so that we can remind one another of the great love that God has for us in Jesus. And so as we rest in his love and as we remind each other of his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in service so that together we might reflect the love of God to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors who are here in Urban and University, Knoxville, and hopefully in some way will spill out into the ends of the earth. All right, that's who we are. We're a people who are trying to learn how to love God. We're trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect. And so to help us do this during the season of Epiphany, what we're trying to do is consider the mission of God, right? And what we believe about the mission of God is that it flows out of the heart of God. And what we believe the Bible teaches about the heart of God is that the heart of God is filled with compassion. And so what we're doing is we're looking at um, this sermon series that we've entitled The God of Compassion, Reflections on the Book of Jonah, 
And so if you've been with us, you might remember that we started by considering the heart of compassion, and then we talked about the flight from compassion. Uh, last week, we talked about the experience of compassion. This morning, we're going to talk about the turning of compassion, and then next week, we'll conclude thinking about the invitation of compassion. But this morning, we want to consider the turning of compassion as we look at Jonah chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and of his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent. And turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me now for the teaching? (coughs) Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are thankful Uh, For this your word, for you are a God not hidden, nor are you silent, but you delight to reveal yourself to your people and to the world. And we are thankful that you have done that in your word and by your Holy Spirit. And ultimately, you've done it in the person and in the work of Jesus. And so it's our prayer right now that as we attend unto your word, that you and your mercy and your kindness and your compassion would attend unto us, that we might see lovely things of you in this, your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if y'all know this or not, but I have parents. Uh, I have a mom and a dad. And uh, the other day, I was talking with them on the phone, and I asked them what they'd been doing all day. And my dad said, you know, we've been setting up our new iWatches. And I'm pretty sure what he meant by that was an Apple Watch. And they were uh, super excited about having gotten these Apple Watches because on the Apple Watch it has all these apps that uh, evaluate like your heart rate and your oxygen and they evaluate your sleep and, and your activity and all that sort of stuff. And so my dad and I were having this great time talking about Clemson football and, and life and all that sort of stuff. It was wonderful. And at about 20 minutes into our conversation, uh, my dad said, oh, I need to get up. 
my iWatch just told me that I've been sitting too long and I need to move, right? And I love that because I think that that sort of buzzing on the wrist is sort of a metaphor for this passage. That uh, my dad's Apple Watch was telling my dad, arise, right? Get up. Stop watching football. Stop watching last night's football game again. Stop looking at your phone. You know, get out of the lazy boy and turn your attention towards life. Like arise, get up, and turn towards life. And this is what's really happening in the book of Jonah. You see it as it begins in verse 1. It's this buzz on our wrist saying, arise, go to Nineveh. And what he's saying is, get up and turn from the way that you are going and follow me. And this isn't just a call to Jonah, this is a call to us. And so in the same way, the, the, the eye watch is buzzing, my dad, it's buzzing us through the word and it's calling us to arise, to get up, to turn and follow God. And we see this turning uh, throughout the text. It's, it's repeated over and over again. Uh, you see it in verse 8, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. You see it again in verse 9, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger. You see it again in, in verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented. And this repetition of, of turning and turning and turning is letting us know that the main point here is that God is calling us to arise and turn. God is calling us to arise and turn to him. And that's what I want us to think about this morning, turning to God, right? So turn to God, right? Turn to God. Would you say that with me? Turn to God. Now, if you've ever read the Bible, you know that, that God made the world and he made everything in it. And he loves that which he made. And you'll remember that in the beginning, when God made the heavens and the earth, he looked upon everything that he had made and he said, that's good. Hey, that's good. Right? That's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. Uh, all that he's made, he said, was good. And then you'll remember that he made us. He made humanity. And when he made us, he said, y'all are very good. And you're very good because you have been made in my image. And what that means is that we were made in the image of God so that we might reflect him to the very ends of the earth. So that whenever we would see one another, we would be reminded to lift our eyes and turn them to God. Right? In other words, our purpose as human beings is that we would go about our days, that we would fill the earth reflecting God reflecting his love, reflecting his mercy, reflecting his compassion, reflecting his goodness, reflecting his truth, reflecting his justice. That we were made by God to reflect our maker. You see, our very existence was meant to invite one another to turn and to remember God. As we read the Bible story, we get to page one or page two, and we see that Adam, uh, our father, turned away uh, from God. He turned away from that which he was made for. And like our father, we too, we turn away in him. But the good news of the Bible is that God's disposition, even though we have turned, he has not turned the good news is that God's disposition towards this earth is that it would return to him. 
And I think that this is really important because I think deep down, most of us, when we think about God and we think about the world, we tend to think that God hates the world. We tend to think that God is opposed to the world. We tend to think that God just wants to destroy the world. But that is not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is that God loved what he made and he continues to love what he made. And he hates the sin that has impacted his good creation. And his heart is breaking because creation has spun out against him. And because we have started running from him. And then the desire of God is that we would be returned to him. And in the end, the story of the Bible is that God in his mercy and in his kindness will reconcile all things to himself. This is what we as Christians call the good news. This is what we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we hear it very clearly summarized in Colossians chapter 1 when the Apostle Paul says this, For by him all things were created. All things created by God, created by Jesus, right? On he in heaven and on earth. Everything visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. For he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. All things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of God. Of his cross. And what I want you to see is that the story of the Bible, the story of God, the mission of God, his heart beats for the world. God loves this world. He loves this world that is bruised and broken by the fall. This world that is filled with sirens that go off every Sunday at 1138. This world that is turning and spinning and running away from him. It is this world that he longs to be reconciled to himself. It is not a world that he longs to destroy. It's not a world that he longs to just cast aside. It is this world that he longs to restore to himself. But it is this mission and this God that Jonah is running away from. You see, for Jonah, when he thought about God and when he thought about the world, he thought that God existed for Jonah's own flourishing. That God exists to do what Jonah wanted him to do. That God exists to just affirm our views or his views of the world. Not to confront his views of the world, but to affirm them. And so when Jonah looked out on the world, he thought Nineveh bad, Jonah good, right? And so God must think Nineveh bad, Jonah good. And because Nineveh was violent, and because Nineveh was Jonah's enemy, because Jonah didn't like them, he thought that God should not like them. Because Nineveh was violent, because they were angry, because they turned away, they then deserve wrath, anger, 
destruction. And so in Jonah's mind, anything other than wrath and judgment and destruction would be ungodly. And so when God says to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, Jonah says, no. And not just runs away from Nineveh, but as we've seen week and week and week that he ran away from God. Now here's the irony. The irony is that Jonah is upset that Nineveh has turned away from God. But now what we see is that Jonah is the one who is turning away from God. And Jonah has become just like Nineveh. Jonah has become the very thing he hates. Now let's be honest. Um, It's easy for us to look at Jonah and sort of critique him. But is it not the fact, is it not true that we're a lot like Jonah? Because when God isn't who we want him to be, how quickly do we just sort of dismiss him? Right, when, when God calls us to do things that we don't want to do, how often do we just ignore him? When, when God confronts our vision of life, our visions of comfort, When God calls us to leave and serve, when God calls us to humble ourselves, when God calls us to deny ourselves, when God calls us to serve our neighbors, to pray for and love our enemies, when God calls us to submit to his will, to obey his commands, to participate in his mission, how often do we just turn away? When we study the Bible, when we uh, think about God, how often do we think, man, God's just too conservative for me? Or how often do we think, I mean, God's just too liberal for me. I mean, God's just old-fashioned. God needs to sort of get with the times. I mean, God's not giving me what I want. And when that becomes our vision of God, we leave. We run. And become like Jonah, who is just like Nineveh. But here's the thing. Everyone who turns away from God is in conflict with God. And the good news is that God continues to call us to turn to him, to return to him, right? So turn to God. Turn to God, right? Would you say it with me? Turn to God. And we want to turn to God because God is turning to us. I want you to look at verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Here's what I love about this verse. The second time. Because God had come to Jonah in chapter 1, and what did Jonah do? He ran away. So what does God do? He comes to Jonah in chapter 2. He comes to Jonah again in chapter 3. He's going to come to Jonah again in chapter 4, and he keeps coming to Jonah and keeps coming to Jonah and keeps coming to Jonah, and by speaking to Jonah, he now is speaking to us. Now, I want you to think about this. We're on page 775 in our pew Bibles, right? God's word should have stopped on page three. When he told Adam to obey and Adam turned away in disobedience, God's word could have stopped right then. But his word continued to come and it continued to call us to return to him from Genesis Right? to Exodus, to Leviticus, to Numbers, to Deuteronomy, and on down to the book of Jonah. 
It didn't stop at Jonah. It went on, right, to uh, Micah and Nahum and Habakkuk and Zephaniah and Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi and Matthew and Mark and Luke and John to the Romans, to the 1 Corinthians, to the 2 Corinthians, and you get the point. And ultimately, what I want you to see is that God's word just keeps coming, and throughout all of it, he's calling us to return to himself. And then the good news is that ultimately, God's word doesn't just remain words. It doesn't just remain words that have been written down. God's word, the glory of Christianity, is that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That our God is willing to pursue us in such a way that he doesn't just speak to us, which is a grace and a kindness. But our God is a God who comes and becomes one of us to pursue us and to invite us to come back to himself. And this is the grace of our God. He is a God who will not give up on us. He is a God who pursues us and pursues us and pursues us and calls us to return. And he does this not because he has to. He does this because he wants to. And he does this because this is the heart of his mission, to reconcile all things to himself. And when he says all things, he means all things. And this is why at Christmas, as Christians, we love to sing, he comes to make his blessings known, far as the curse is found. Right? Far as the curse is found. Nothing about this. How far is the curse found? How far does the curse extend? It extends to all of us. And it extends to everything. And so God's word comes, and it came to Jonah over and over again, and then through him it comes to us again and again and again, and then through us it will go out to the very ends of the earth. And what this means is that as God's word comes to us, and then as it goes out from us, God's word wants to go to places that we don't want to go. Will you go there? That's the question. And not only will it go to places you don't want to go, it's going to go to people you don't want to have it. God's word wants to go to your enemies, to people that don't like you, to people that you don't like, to people you wish would just receive God's judgment and die. God's word wants to go to them. And I think this is a real challenge to us because what this is saying is that God's mission and his word, it's not just for me. It's not just for me uh, getting to heaven. It's not just for me uh, getting good. It's, it's not just for me to have friends. It's not just for me to be comfortable. It's not just for me to go to church. God's mission is the reconciling of all things to himself. And so his word comes and it comes and it comes again, inviting us to return to him. And so what we see then is Jonah receives the word and then reluctantly he gets up and he goes into the city and he preaches this amazing sermon. I'm sure most of you wish it, my sermons were this long. Verse four, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overcome. Thanks be to God, right? Uh, you know, uh, you can also maybe translate this, uh, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. 
Now you can imagine that Jonah really liked preparing this sermon. Uh, I mean, as he goes into the city, he's thinking, God's going to get you. God's going to get you. Look out, boys, because God's going to get you, right? Now the question we should be asking as we read this sermon is this. How is God going to overthrow them? Is God going to overthrow them in judgment? Or is he going to overthrow their wickedness with his compassion? And what we see as you read on is that God in his mercy overturns them towards his compassion. He overturns them towards himself. Look at verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And so what I want you to see here is that God overturned them. He overturned them with his grace. He overturned them from violence to himself. Now, uh, this is a little bit offensive, right? Because if you think about it, uh, Nineveh was maybe one of the most violent nations the earth has ever known. And not only were they violent, but they also created ways of being violent. And what is amazing is that God would show them compassion. And that made Jonah mad, uh, and it might make some of you mad. But here's the good news. None of us can run so far from him that we cannot return to him. Here's the good news. If God would show compassion to a place like Nineveh, surely he could show compassion to a people like us. And I think this is really important because some of you might not be like Jonah. Some of you might be a lot more like Nineveh. You didn't grow up in the church. You didn't grow up around the Bible. Uh, you've never read the Bible. Uh, and maybe like Nineveh, your life is a life that has been filled with violence and with evil. And maybe you have done terrible, horrible things things you can't imagine, you can't believe that you did. And, and maybe some of you have seen things that you wish you had never seen. And maybe some of you, violence and wickedness has come upon you. And now you feel unworthy, now you feel unclean, now you feel unfit for God. And you think there's no way that he could love me. There's no way that he would turn towards me in grace and in mercy. And here's what I want you to hear this morning. That God's word is coming to you. And what he is saying is turn to me so that you might receive my love. You see, what God wants to do is he wants to overturn the world and he wants to overturn you with his grace. So turn to God. Right? Turn to God. Would you say it with me? Turn to God. And then I want you to notice how God's word continues to turn people towards himself. Look at verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. Now, a couple things uh, about this that are interesting to me, and they might be to you, is this. The first is this. It doesn't say that Jonah spoke the word of the Lord to the king. All it says is that the word reached the king. And this seems to imply that Jonah actually didn't speak the word to the king. 
What it seems to imply is that when Jonah spoke the words to Nineveh, they heard the word, they received the word, and then they shared the word with one another, and they passed it on and on and on, and there was this big scuttle that was going on in Nineveh, and the word reached the king. And the word reached the king because Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that God's word is what? Living and active. That God's word will go where God wants his word to go. And because he wanted his word to go to Nineveh and to the king, his word was living and active and it made its way to him. And this is important because what this is reminding us of is this. It's telling us that God's word is going to have its way. You can reject God's word and you can try to silence God's word. But God will continue to speak. And if he wants you to speak and you refuse to do so, he might swallow you with a big fish. And then he might spit you out and then he might say, arise, go to Nineveh and speak, right? And this is kind of amazing because what we see is God will speak. His word is going to go to every corner of the earth. It will go to Christian and non-Christian, to rich and to poor, to peasants and to kings. It will go to the very ends of the earth. And in the end, the entire world will submit to God and to his word. So the king hears uh, God's word. And then I want you to notice what he does. Notice the language in verse 6. And he arose. This is the very same thing that God had called Jonah to do. To arise. And Jonah fled. Now the king arises, he gets up, and the question is, what's the king going to do? Will he obey or will he rise up like Jonah and flee? Now notice the king's response, verse 6. He removed his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. I want you to think about this for a second because here we see one of the most powerful people on the earth at the time. And when he's confronted with God's word, he stands up. And he stands up uh, not to fight and not to flee. But he stands up and what does he do? He strips himself of all the symbols of his authority. And then what does he do? He bows down, he sits in the ashes as if to say ashes to ashes, dust to dust, from dust I was made to dust I will return. But you, O Lord, you live forever. And so I will turn to you. And I think it's amazing because uh, in Nineveh, the king's word uh, was law. And if you look at history, if you were to disobey the king's word, uh, you could be skinned alive. What I mean by that is they could take your skin off of you while you were alive, right? Or uh, they could impale you on these spikes all around the city. So here's what's amazing is that when God's word comes to the king, Hebrews 4, like a double-edged sword, It pierces the heart of the king. And what does he do? But he says, not my will, but your will be done. And I think this is an important lesson for us because what it's telling us is it doesn't matter how powerful you are. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter how successful you are. At the end of the day, 
you will have to deal with God. And you will have to deal with his word. And then I want you to notice that after receiving God's word, the king turned, and what did he do? He shared the word with his people. Look at verse 7. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, but the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from the violence that is in his hands. And I think this is amazing because what we see about the king is that unlike Jonah, who wanted to keep the word and the blessings to himself, Nineveh and the king, right, received the word, and then what they do? They shared it. The word went out from them because they wanted one another to enjoy the blessing of God's compassion. And this is now recorded for us in the Bible so that God's word might come to us. And just as the king invited his people, and just as the people invited the king to turn to God, the word is now inviting us to turn to God that we might share in his blessing, that we might share and enjoy his compassion. Right? So turn to God. Right? Turn to God. Will you say it with me? Turn to God. And not only that, you probably noticed that the invitation doesn't just go out to Jonah, and the invitation doesn't just go out to Nineveh, and the invitation doesn't just go out to the king, but did you hear the weird part about the animals? And what he says is, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, right? And what we see here is that God's word goes out even to the animals. His word goes out to all of creation. And we sang about this earlier in the service in that banger that Ben let us in uh, at the beginning, right? Uh, let all creation sing before the Lord and every nation of the earth rejoice. Let all the trees lift a shout of joy for the Lord is king, and then you might have giggled like Annabelle did in verse 3. Uh, honey, Annabelle's my daughter. Uh, honeybees and weeping willows, grizzly bears and armadillos. Every narwhal and sea otter, every son and every daughter. Right? Nation proclaims, nature proclaims the glory of our God. Nature proclaims his name. Right? This isn't a silly song with Larry. Uh, you know, this is meant to be a powerful statement about our God. And it is a reminder to us that God made the world and all of the world is his. The bees and the bears, the willows and the armadillos, the sons and the daughters, God will restore all things to himself. And this is one of the amazing things about our God. Our God's love comes down from heaven to the very dirt of the earth. Now, I know it might sound strange uh, for us to think about uh, animals turning to God, but the real point is this. Everything belongs to God and everything will be returned to him. And this is a reflection of the covenant that God made with a guy named Noah. And you might remember that immediately after the flood, the flood had subsided, and he makes a covenant with Noah, and he said this, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. 
And what this means is that God loves his creation and he will not destroy it. He will never destroy it once again. That God's desire is not to destroy his creation, but is to redeem his creation. Because the Psalm 24 tells us the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You see, the earth is the garden of God that has been meant to be tended for his glory so that all things might be returned to him. Right, so turn to God. Turn to God. Would you say it with me? Turn to God. But here's the question. Why would we turn to God if our turning away has made him angry? If we turn back to him, will he just put on the angry eyes and scream at us? Look at verse 9. Who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Another way we could translate this is, who knows? God may turn in compassion and turn from his fierce anger. So who knows how God will respond to us if we turn to him? We know. And we know because God has told us. He has told us that he will never turn away any who turn to him. We're going to sing about this a little bit later in the service. There's a song called... um, Uh, what's it called? How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And many of you know this song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. Listen to this. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. I don't know if you heard it or not. The father turned his face away. From whom? Not you. But Jesus. The father turned his face away from Jesus. Because there on the cross, Jesus was bearing God's anger at our sin. So that he might turn away from our sin turn away from his anger and turn to us in love. And listen to the way we sing in verse two. Behold, turn, look, and see the man upon the cross. My guilt upon his shoulders. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. And that's the point of this table that we're about to come to. The table is an invitation for us to turn from ourselves, turn from the ways in which we're running, and turn to Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who has borne our sin, and more than that, he's borne the anger of God against our sin. And that's the point of the cross. That's the point of this table. And he invites us to come to this table, and he feeds us with himself. He feeds us with his grace. And he says, taste and see my love for you. We're not just eating bread and eating wine and drinking wine here. What is happening at this table is when we ask the question, who knows? 
Would God be merciful? Who knows? Would God be compassionate? Look at the table. And just as surely as you taste the bread and you taste the wine, so surely can you be that God has turned his face towards you in love. So turn towards him. Return to him, right? Turn to God. Would you say it one last time with me? Turn to God.